0: reading short and deep Hi, I'm Jesse and I'm Eric and today we're reading short and deep Eternity Orbit by Francis L. Ashton this is first published in Super Science Stories January 1951 and I don't think it's been reprinted maybe it has been, maybe I'm completely wrong Uh, I got the issue, uh, in a nice scan, and then, yeah, it's never been reprinted. Most of these, most of the stories that, you know, get published in the 1950s don't get reprints. Why would this one get one? Um, well, I think it, when I, when I found it, when I was going through this issue, I'm like, oh, my God. Larry Niven was alive in the 1950s. (laughs) He probably was. Um, and he was writing, uh... Science fiction stories in the 1950s. It's not exactly a Larry Niven story, but when I I saw the premise, I thought, this is a Larry Niven-like premise. And uh, I'm a big fan of Larry Niven. But it's not really written in Niven style. It's just... It's about, basically, physics. Which is kind of refreshing. A lot of science fiction isn't about physics. Um, And it's got other stuff going on. Just... just, uh, I think... (laughs)
1: want to understand what it is that you are you're noticing here Niven writes often what's called hard SF Mm -hmm. meaning that you ought to be able to in theory um, take a look at the scientific laws that are at play in the story, even if some of them aren't scientific, like That's right. you know, they tell you how faster than light travel works, and then you're supposed to be able to calculate that it really did work that way in mm-hmm. the story. Um, but uh, and he he writes hard SF, loads and loads of authors. Uh, well, not as many loads as I would That's as right some <laughs> would like, but but there are other people who write hard SF. Um, and in the fifties, we do find things like gravity, like. Uh, 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 my, my, this is terrible. It's, it's escaping Paul oh, Clement
0: is probably who you're thinking of. That's the one. Yeah.
1: And, and, and what's the name of that
0: that um, novel? His uh, oh, Mission, of Mission of Gravity is his main, gravity. main one. Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, you know. So we have that. We have, and much later, we have things like Robert Forward's Dragon's Egg. Mm-hmm. We have writers Arthur Clarke. Asimov said that Clarke was the the greatest writer of hard SF. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are writers who do this and so to say that his this story is like larry niven in one sense well this is hard sf and niven is hard sf mm-hmm. i think there are ways in which they are in fact different and that it's not just a matter of style the style has thematic significance but this story um is in some sense quite reminiscent of a very famous specific story by Larry Niven called Neutron Star.
0: Yes, especially Neutron Star. Exactly.
1: And I have a feeling that that's really why, of all of the hard SF writers in the in the history of science fiction, you picked Niven. Mm
0: hmm. And, uh, and also, it's because. But that's not just
1: an accident, because I've got to say, um, this story is about some people who are on an asteroid, and the asteroid is known as NS 2856. Mm hmm. And when I sought what NS might mean as a an abbreviation in astronomy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it turns out it has only one recognized meaning, which has been recognized since the 1930s, long before this was published, and that is neutron star.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of thinking going on behind this. In fact, this particular asteroid is NS 2856, which is... 28 exactly half of 56 mm. but also um, if you take a look at 56 um, it is four it is eight times seven um, and <laughs> there are eight guys involved in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of things that that might be numerological, um, it's not just hard SF. The very first line. It is not true that we murdered several. Right. God knows. He gave us provocation enough. There's something else besides science here, yeah. and it's not just the human stuff. There is a sense of there being some more spiritual aspect to life. Absolutely. Uh, and that I think is is often missing in some of Niven's work, including. That story, Neutron yep. Star. Absolutely. So, I think the stylistic difference represents a thematic difference in concern in the story. Yeah. Having said that, I retire.
0: <laughs> I, I I completely agree with what you're saying, and uh, I, I think when I when I said to myself, N- Niven, it's Niven in the 1950s. Uh, yeah, I've read um, uh, Hal Clement, but I read that like relatively recently, like within the last 10 years, and I read. Um, uh, Dragon's Egg, which is as at least as uh, impactful in a certain sense as um, as uh, Neutron Star, but again, within the last ten years, I grew up on Niven. So you know, when I first read Ring World, that I like, I'm I'm now a permanent science fiction fan. There's nothing I can do about it because <laughs> I just read Ringworld, World, and oh my god, this is amazing! And reading his other stuff. It, because, what I mean, if you think about how Ringworld's actually a terrible novel. <laughs> As a novel, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But it, it's just a disaster, right? They they screw up, and then they have to go home. It's a very simple story. It's But who cares about that? What we care about is that he's created this world in which to have that adventure. And I kind of, I, I agree with you, Niven... Wouldn't have written this story because um, the the mutiny aspect of this story is actually quite interesting, and I actually think it's very Lovecrafty <laughs> in the way it starts. Uh, maybe it is, maybe
1: it should give us a sense of what's going on in the story. It's ooh, short.
0: Yeah, okay, uh, I'm going to let you do the story summary, but I, I just want to read the opening and then maybe you can um, uh, finish us off. I'll read the opening paragraph if you don't mind. Here it is It is not true that we murdered Savold though god knows he gave it gave us provocation enough provocation enough he met his end on asteroid ns 2856 in a way which was unique was as unique as it was horrible but which not which was not of our making no it did the job for us it is queer that we never found a name for it and it has had to suffice but it is a sure thing that if those scientific fellows get to the asteroid in time, it is going to startle the scientific world from top to bottom and become, for a while, the wonder of the solar system. So we actually have a combination of uh, what, what we're getting in the preview, which I also want to read, if you don't mind. Uh, this is the editorial introduction, I guess, at the beginning of uh, on the first page. For unguessable eons it traveled its predestined path, the deathless heart of a dying world, till at last its terrible orbit crossed the hating heart of a human. And that's also the editorial introduction on the uh, table of contents. Um, you know, the thing that makes you decide whether you're going to buy this issue while you're looking at it on right. the newsstand. Um, which is it, It's technically what's going on, kind of. But yeah, if you if you would give us a... Uh, You call it Pracy?
1: I I can give you a Pracy. Thank you. Uh, Sure. It's a first-person narrative of someone who is recounting the experience that he had with another all-male crew that had been sent out to do something commercial uh, uh, in the uh, trans-asteroid-built solar system, under the command of someone named Savold. What we find out is that Savold is a terrible captain. Mm-hmm. And in before this begins, some altercation had arisen in which Savold killed the brother of one of the other crew members. In fact, the story reads a lot like um, <laughs> a story set in a sailing ship. Mm-hmm. And it makes no sense that it be that way. For example, the reason these people are on a, a, a lifeless asteroid is that, and I quote, it was in our contracts that we should be given a run ashore on an asteroid when we crossed the belt. Mm-hmm. And we had expected to put into Ceres, which is the largest of the asteroids, um, for she lay right on our course. But it was just like Savile to choose an uninhabited lump of rock like NS eighty twenty eight fifty six, uh, repeating that so it's clearly significant that we think about what NS mm-hmm. would mean and that particular number. Now, this is crazy, right? I mean, nobody puts in a rest stop at a place where there's nothing to, to no re- recreation, there's right. no, there's nothing. So Savold is doing something really wrong here and uh, that leads to a sense of mutiny, but the notion of mutiny uh, it's, it's like the merchant marine. I mean, who has contracts to go out? I mean, we don't know any of that background, but that's what it is. It's like a a sailing ship story. And so given the chance to have by contract um, some rest and recreation, six of these crew members go off and uh, try to um, talk by connecting their helmets and turning off their transmitters um, about the possibility of mutiny which of course they would be justified in doing they think of the fellow as a murderer but they realize that when they get back to earth no one's going to believe them fortunately this is the fairy tale aspect of the story this absolutely implacable force appears Mm -hmm. there is a a lump that is orbiting this asteroid very, very slowly, but absolutely inexorably. We get some wonderful description, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you want to read to us about this hard SF up, uh, thing um, that they can't deflect in any way. And that is what in fact um, manages to move into Savold's chest and kill him. It then, looks like it may destroy the ship but they figure out a way to turn the ship around so that it the the orbiting collapsed matter goes out through the hole it came in from mm-hmm. they repair the hole and they they leave Savold having conveniently been killed, not at all by them, so they're not in any sense guilty. It's hard SF all the way. We get descriptions that I'll talk about if, if you don't mm-hmm. pick up I like best, but then it ends this way. So there was a power source for you, said Urkeley, if we can think of a way of harnessing all that kinetic energy of this supermassive ma- collapsed matter. He wanna Ercolani is the one scientist among the crew. Mm-hmm. So our, mur- our motors did shift it a bit, perhaps as much as a millimeter or so. I mean, it's, it's massive, 45 million tons, I think we're mm-hmm.
0: told. Mm-hmm.
1: Where did it come from, I asked? You have got to go back to the birth of the solar system to explain its origin. So now the fairy tale, which mm-hmm. saves them from having to murder to bring justice, is becoming an origin story when the sun's giant primeval companion exploded and shot out the matter which subsequently became the planets it probably shot out some completely collapsed matter as well, such matter is only likely to be found at the centers of the planets I was beginning to understand I get you I said, that thing the it, the mm. orbiting thing that killed Savold, that thing was once at the heart of a planet that metaphor heart here is mm. crucial because Savold gets killed by having this thing pressed through his chest mm-hmm. and his heart. the planet whose debris forms the asteroid belt you're right there I have no doubt that was once the planet's heart but Craig was shouting at us to get on with the work
0: hmm and I turn the page after that and I'm like oh that's the end um, i love that it's so short and it, it and it also it, it it reads at the beginning like a um almost like the statement of randolph carter where his it well it is true that i have put six bullets through the head of my best friend <laughs> although that's not statement of randolph carter it's it is a um it is a uh a, a lovecraft story um it's kind of a defense. Like, yeah, okay, we're going to explain how this guy died and how it's none of our fault. Although, I think the argument could be made that uh, at least one of them was doing something badly um, when he he sort of distracted the guy so that he would get uh, seviled. He distracted... It's Eric Alani when he's going into the ship, right? He's saying, come in one by one. We're going to give you this drug that... Dict- There's a whole beautiful world that's not... Explain, but we get this, there's a drug on board the ship that dictators use right um, right and and so he distracts him by showing him a rock and maybe it's uranium in which case they're all rich or whatever right um, and 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 that is designed to put him into the right position so that he'll get pinned by the ball uh, it looks like a cannonball in the illustration, and I love that idea and there's a, also a great scene in here where they try and grab hold of it and try and, you know, like examine it and, and stop it. And one guy jumps up and as soon as he hits it, um, it, it, it doesn't move at all. It absorbs every bit of his energy and he can't force it up and he's stri- trying to struggle and move it around. This would make a great short film. Uh, only, if only just to explore what it would look like. I don't think anybody would, it wouldn't be a very commercial film, but I'd love to see it animated um, and then uh, the other men uh, you know they're all trying to get it they're sort of trying to bring it down to the surface of this this tiny little asteroid which is also brilliantly described as um, it, it's basically it, it's like you're always on top of a hill
1: yes that, that paragraph is, is an excellent example of hard Yes
0: oh here it is. there is no atmosphere, and there is a preci- there is precious little else on that desolate lump of rock. It is so small that you seem to be standing on top of a hill wherever you are, and the gravity is so slight that you expect to fall off the derned place at any moment um, so uh, and then when we we are told about this hole in one of the hills. Um, I also was like, oh, that's fascinating. And in fact, Eric Olani, it, it is his, I believe it's his brother who was killed by the Savold captain um, and put into the uh, waste disposal chute or whatever it was. Um, and yet he's also the one who's so obsessed with the image that he sees. He's kind of like me when I was reading Larry Niven. I'm so distracted by the big dumb object and how it was constructed that I don't notice that the plot of the novel's that <laughs> not an <laughs> important he he sort of it, it, this is a Agatha Christie sort of who it murder mystery um uh true crime story that is suddenly derailed by the appearance of as you're calling it a fairy tale um and it is a fairy tale but it's a fairy tale of science right
1: it, it is, but it, it, I think part of the uh, the moral force of what's going on in the story is the balance against the absolutely um, inevitable release, uh, fulfillment of justice.
0: Mm-hmm. Inexorable,
1: justice. right? Inexorable release of, of personal justice. There's a bad person who's the hero of a fairy tale, nonetheless wins. You know, like the the little boy who lies. Mm-hmm. You know, I the, the the gallant tailor. I killed seven with one blow. You know, he, he's a liar, but but he's the hero, so he wins, right? And, and that's what happens here. Sure, Ercolani shouldn't have arranged for this guy to die, but he did, and so he wins, mm-hmm. right? There's the, the fairy tale is fulfilled here through an inexorable force. And it's an inexorable force of science. So what the story seems to be telling us is, by golly, the more you learn about science, mm. the more you need to learn that the universe is constructed to make things come out just
0: right. Uh, I want to read that. that.
1: It's bizarre because real science tells us nothing like that <laughs> at all. Well, it's, it's I, I think it's,
0: it's the harnessing, right? So Eric Olani uses science and his his observation. To get what was impossible for them, they, in fact, Savold's plan is gonna work. If it, if, if, if Ercolani hadn't, uh, you know, positioned him right, it would have worked, um, and and they were wouldn't be able to get the justice. But uh, I want to read that paragraph where Ercolani notices what's going on. Ercolani was looking up at the rocks. Above our heads, and from the keen interest in his narrowed eyes, I and the narrator is never named. I, I there's six uh, people in on the mutiny. There's eight people, crew total. And uh, I love that on the cover. I started labeling the characters, or not mm-hmm. the cover, the illustration. Savold's getting hit by the ball, and I thought at first that that was um, Stroop. I guess was his name, uh, but actually that's Ercolani going inside. Stroop's inside. And, Stoke. Stope, Stope, S-T-O-E-P. And then on the outside, we've got tree art and Snork, which is a great name, Um, (laughs) Craig, and I. Right. Right? I love that there's a, a, the I is the narrator. And so it says, Eric Alani says, or I says, I knew there was something there. He was itching to investigate. Following the direction of his glance, I saw that there was a gaping hole which looked as though it had been punched through the rocky wall by a rocket shell. Whatever had done it struck with an irresistible force. I could see that our mutiny plan was not going to hold Eric Alani's attention much longer. And that (laughs) that started my mind going like, oh, Okay, I know what's. I, I I can see where the story is going, right? I mean, it's right in that editorial introduction, right? It's predestined mm-hmm. path and all that stuff, but then uh, we later get a look at the landscape and we can see where it's skimmed along the surface and plowed uh, a path through, right? It's inexorable, unstoppable, immovable, right? And then the description of of what's coming out of the hole, this is just great this is on page 71, something was coming out of the hole in the rocks it was a black sphere about a foot in diameter, the bald statement conveys nothing of its peculiar impact upon the senses it was black, intensely black blacker than the darkest shadow or or the remotest depths of space, it was a negation of light a three dimensional hole in the universe is the best description I can give it give a bit i hung suspended in a curious way um and then there's that attempt to try and stop it and it's so comical they can't do anything about it right but because there's nothing in between the the hole in the universe the ball the sphere and any anything else they're fine right it's just a comic thing but if you get pinned between it and something heavy something that's a little thicker than you like a ship that's your end it's no longer comical right it's like it's like the it's like standing in the sea you know in the shallows in the water yeah you the water you you feel like you're tough because the water can come in and just go pass through you but uh if those waves get a little higher and you get hit by a rock you know that's no, no laughing matter anymore. And, of course, when waves get really big, they kill everything and everyone and, and, and the land, too. And that's that's the power of nature, right? And we're seeing this rare power of nature. Oh, what a story.
1: Well, one of the reasons that I I, I, I think of this as a, a fairy tale of science
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: is that, yeah, like a fairy tale, it its rules don't hold up a lot of under a lot of scrutiny. Um, for example, in fairy tales, we know that animals can talk,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you have fairy tales in which, in order to satisfy the the hunger of one talking uh, of one animal who can talk and tells the protagonist, "I need, I need you know something to eat." For example, the ant king is begging for food for his ant army. Um, the protagonist will turn around and kill a mute animal. You know, why is it that the the ants can talk, but the horses can't? And the answer is because. <laughs> it's a fairy tale, and it has its own rules, no matter how much you may want to think of them as extensible. And this is hard SF, and it seems like it has rules. But if you think about the way this thing functions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it really is an old-fashioned romance. For instance, we're told in this advanced era Right. When we can just commercially go out beyond the asteroid belts, that somehow someone is going to feel constrained to follow his contract. Mm. He had no choice but to stop. Really? I mean, what would have happened if he hadn't? He had with him drugs that would make his crew absolutely docile after he killed the guy's brother. Why didn't he use the drugs then? Mm -hmm. Why was he waiting till now? We're told that if he murdered the lot of us. He wouldn't be able to work the ship, and therefore he would be stranded on a desert asteroid. (laughs) Shouldn't that word be island? This (laughs) thing looks like it's out in space, but it's not. Now, let's take a look at this this thing, this neutron star, this little bit of a black hole. This thing has gone through that that outcropping repeatedly, we're told. That's why it just seems to go, because it's immovable. Right? It just keeps going through that same outcropping. So it's just going through its own hole again and again and again. We know that must be the case because we see it coming out of the hole. We don't see the hole being created by it coming out. Mm-hmm. Right? So it can't it's so heavy, excuse me. It's massive massive
0: mm-hmm.
1: that it cannot be deflected. And yet the engine of the ship, we're told, deflected it at least a millimeter. Mm-hmm. A millimeter is not a lot of distance, but since we are on something that's been there since the creation of the solar system, you would think by now that millimeter would have led that hole in the asteroid to be a whole lot bigger than just the size of the of the sphere mm-hmm. since it's going around I, I was
0: trying to do the math and, and I'm not unfortunately a math guy but I was thinking yeah okay so the speed like they actually say that there was two here I got it uh, so it's it says while we waited we were twice swung through the darkness of the asteroid's night. so that means there was two days or technically two nights. Right the yeah. orbit of the right, and I was thinking, well, actually, I'm not sure that this this it's essentially a moon right, or almost yeah. a reverse moon in yeah. some way um, I'm not sure that this dynamically could work, but I'm not a math guy, but because well, we,
1: I, I think it's, I think it's clear that if it is so massive, you know, like our moon doesn't really move the earth very much, mm-hmm. but it moves uh, enough that we get the tides, sure. Right. If this thing is so massive that um, it doesn't move the the thing it orbits around at all, then when it collides, as it does with Savold against the ship, it should, in fact, change the, the dynamics of the asteroid and the ship. The ship should have been moved away. Now you know. Remember that old trick. It, you,
0: it is. It is moved away, but not completely, right? No, no,
1: no, no. It's you take take. You, you know the old trick. You take a an open sheet of newspaper, um, and put it over a ruler that's on the edge of a table, where the uh, nine inches of it are, is under the newspaper and three inches is in midair. And then you take your hand down. You take your fist and you wrap you. Punch down fast Mm -hmm. and you break the uh, you break the ruler. If you do it again and you push down slowly. The the piece of paper comes up and you don't break the ruler at all. This thing is moving slowly. It should be pushing that. Ship right off its anchors. And if it is not pushing it right off its anchors, then because it's anchored to that asteroid, it should be changing the motion of the asteroid. You can't have it both ways. It can't be so massive that something doesn't have any visible effect from it, and yet that something is sufficiently massive that it stays in orbit around it. The physics is wrong.
0: There are there are are definitely some issues. I'm pretty sure, but but it doesn't matter if it's
1: a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, So some of the so some of the animals can't talk. uh It doesn't matter because the conclusion here is that the day is saved for them by the planet's heart.
0: Ah. I also want to point out uh, the. I, I don't know if this is trans transformed language or, or more fairy tale, or if it's just a typo, but it's not a hypodermic. It's a hyperdermic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is yes. probably not a typo. It's probably a uh, transformed language. We're living in the future, and
1: uh, there's there is a typo on page seventy one. It says leaping. Mm-hmm leaping is a dangerous this is another example of hard sf leaping is a dangerous matter on an asteroid for you drift away from it and just so on drifting if you leap too high mm. and it surely should have been you just go on drifting oh, right, right, so we know that there's at least one clear typo here my guess is that uh, our, our author who was in fact not you know much of an author who's mostly an analytical chemist in his mm-hmm. life um I think um he, j- he just wrote hypodermic instead of hypodermic. It happens all the time. <laughs> I
0: like the idea that it's it's a sort of advanced <laughs> hypo. Hypo is too low or lunder and then hyper I read is above. the story. You read the story. Okay. We try to read it closer. <laughs> there's and never been a reprinting. There's only. Even though there's
1: always more to say.
0: And remember. You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.